0: Which is the plural of the laborato, Which are your papers? Um, they were okay, <clears throat> um, at best. There's there's way too much feeling that's going into this. Like I feel this, therefore I think this. Like I mean that's nice. Like I mean, we can we can talk about your feelings and, but we're looking for fact. <clears throat> and so to say I feel this way and here is why. And not just according to your opinion, but here is why, like we could really say this, <clears throat> and then to back it up too. So that's the way. I, I just want to read for you one elaborato that, and this is from Wild at Heart, which we'll be reading later on. But um, so don't steal this one. But I think this is uh, this is just just exactly the way what I'm what I'm looking for. Okay. <coughs> In his book, Wild at Heart, John Elkins proposes that man should be dangerous. He says, many times, things such as there is something wild in the heart of man, this may be news to some, but to others it may not have been even a short while ago. To be a wild animal requires a wild environment, and I insist that current cultural claims to promote a natural ferocity in man, but it has really walked him into a cage. Genuine security comes from a wild man, but but what we have now is an imposter. The prime example of this is an average church service. They say that the devil's greatest trick is making the world think that he doesn't exist, but I would say that it's a toss-up with the tambourine. So, you know, like a little joke, you know, just to kind of... That's a good intro, right? But he's, he stated his, his point that man is, is not ferocious at heart. In fact, he's been made kind of... he's emasculated at this point. A hundred years ago, when we walk into church and have dead silence, dead and grim but beautiful silence... The choir would start a chant that was ominous, ominous and foreboding. Looking all around, one could see the statues and the pews all focused straight ahead, and the weight of what was happening hit you like a wave. But not to a person back then. That was routine, but not a rut. The spaces above were hung there like only <clears throat> that space, as if to give way to the events down front. They were organs, there were organs and organs. But now it seems the only organs are lungs. Well, that is only for a small percentage, brave enough to fish for compliments. When people are catechized, it is shocking how shocked people are that it is called a sacrifice. There are guitars and projectors and even heat. The architecture is so bland that all one can see is the neon neon yellow Nike shirt of the kid in front of him. Not to mention that his shirt says every damn day. It's funny how one wears those, but maybe once every two weeks. Common thought is that we write on our souls with pencils, not pens. Love is patient and kind is the favorite verse. But love bears all things, and love endures all things are quickly forgotten. The stern image the church once had is gone, and with it goes the acceptance of its gift of security. We blew it. People aren't afraid of us anymore. They see devotion as an emotion and a cheesy one at that. Credibility often doesn't come from genes. It comes from suits and the color black. It comes from the piezu, not the Jesus that lets us eat pie. The mass is a place of worship, yes, but not the frilly and cuddly emotional sing-along type that, that some make it to be. Churches don't need to get with it, in quotation, in quotation marks. In fact, that's the one thing they should never do. They already have it. A rock begets a rock. That is where the real security lies, and it comes from a world opposed or opposite to it. It is immediately apparent that the first example was a time of uncertainty. The world was wild and dangerous, and so too were its people. They had, to be, they had to be to live in it. If you get a flat tire, now you can just call someone. Back then, you better know how to change it, or it probably meant death if you wound up on a deserted, snowy road. News was slow. Trips were more dangerous. And walls were weaker, so to speak. People needed to be safe somewhere, and that somewhere was the church. It offered stability and hope to the extent of everlasting life. But now people feel like they don't need it to feel secure. They can get affirmation elsewhere, in a self-help book, or a social media site, or a politician saying the world is wrong, not them. The problem is that humans will always have a desire for something more. And when security comes from something unfulfilling, there will always be fallout. It seems most apparent in psychological disorders these days. Emotional concerns rise up from making security emotional. The uncertain world with devout and wild people gave way to a safe world with boring zoo animals. The devil would surely rather have you convinced and shaking a tambourine in church than unconvinced and in an office chair. So, what, what's his point in the paper? <clears throat> that the emasculation of the church is what has caused the emasculation emas- of man. And he uses very, and now again, this, this, this person is a very good writer. <laughs> a very good writer. And I'm not, you don't necessarily have to be a good writer. But you have to be clear. And you have to be objective. To the, to the extent that you can be. You know, somebody, a lot of people are like, you know, uh, according to dictionary.com, okay? Now that is a source. <laughs> But we're talking, beauty is a philosophical concept. So we need a philosophical understanding of the word beauty. Not what dictionary.com says. You know, and then some people, you know, there was was one person that used, uh, I think it was David Hume. Which is fine. Like, I hate David Hume. (laughs) I hate him. But if you want to use him and argue him and do a good job of it, praise God. That's what I want. So you don't have to feel like you have to, like, Come to follow Waltz, you gotta give me exactly what I'm looking for. If you wanna write the opposite, like that article you read for today, the one about mere, you know, mere Darwinism, that was a student in my class who wanted to challenge me and challenge Lewis. And I welcomed it wholeheartedly, and it was damn fun. Now the poor kid, right, had bear he had absolutely actually, actually had nobody backing him. <laughs> And as he said, there's that little line, and it's it's a bit presumptuous, but he says, the reason I don't have any supporters is because they are sheep, and you are their shepherd. So they're following you. And to some degree, that's probably fair. Because when we got into the argument in class, you know, whenever he would pose a statement, all the kids and students are like, looking to me. Like, what what do you say? What are you going to say? Help us, save us. (laughs) So... I want you to, to open up and, and, and to write, yes, certainly your opinion, but realizing that your opinion can be wrong and that you need to back it up. So often, you know, we really have to, we have to distinguish between our feelings and the truth, right? Because sometimes, and I'll tell you, the number one issue right now that this, the struggle begins with and it's especially for us priests and for anybody who's really trying to live out their Catholic faith, because there is such a false interpretation and a false compassion towards homosexuality. So that the minute I say homosexual marriage is not good for society, it's like bah! Like, I mean, people just there's claws and kicking and guns and they want you dead. And you're like, just time out. What are you so mad about? Can we have just like a decent conversation that isn't just driven by emotion? Everything is driven by emotion right now. And as you'll see in a little bit, hopefully if we have time, emotion is a very, very dangerous thing. It's a very good thing too. But you cannot set it up as your like end all be all. It can't govern everything. And if you look, you know, I wish you could read as I was reading. Like 90% of the papers was, I feel this way. I think this. I'm like, that's good. And you can tell me that, but then back it up with other stuff. But the reason, the whole reason I've been bringing this point up is because of what I want to talk about. And we hammer it in the theology department and the philosophy department, and that's relativism. And I don't know if you know what relativism is. You're going to at the end of this class period, hopefully. This idea that everything is feelings-based. That, you know, like, I like this and you like that and you're right and I'm right and let's be happy. And most of the people that espouse this type of teaching in their lives are a mess. You know, I mean, like, I, we have this one person in our family and she is constantly, like, the source of division, and then gets pissed, and she's like, "I don't know why we can't just all love each other." And we're like, <laughs> "Well, you know." Like, and they just can't hear it. I've always wondered. I don't know if you guys have wondered this, but in the gospel, Jesus says he'll he'll say something, and then he says, "Those who have ears, ought to hear." And I was like, "What, the, what does that mean?" I mean, I have ears; I hear. But I think what he means is, is we don't want to hear the truth. And one of the easiest ways to make sure that our truth remains relativistic is to make beauty relativistic. Because the minute you make beauty objective, what have you now done? You have made truth objective. You have made goodness objective. And now there's a certain way that we are called to live. And maybe the way you're living doesn't balance out with that. So it's a heck of a lot easier just to say, no, your beauty is your beauty. My beauty is my beauty. And so because of this, as I was reading, I did want to move on to some stuff on relativism. We will get to that. But I do want to cover some stuff on beauty, you guys. I don't think it's fair to you. I don't think it's, like, to me. And, you know, this this stuff just came to me. I was doing some work. and and So I don't know how good this class is going to be. (laughs) But hopefully it turns out all right. So I want to just talk about beauty. Then we're going to go into truth. And eventually we're going to go into goodness. Okay? So beauty. We're just, that's where we're going to start. The, way I want, the first thing I want you to say is in the, in the modern world, beauty is often an emotional term. It is often an emotional term. And the reason is, is because beauty arises desire. Beauty arises arises desire. It, it, it brings us out, it bring, it calls us, calls something out of us. That's why when we look at something beautiful, we desire it. You know, think about when you're shopping. You're like, I like that. You didn't begin to desire it until you buy it. The problem is, you'll notice this, right? And you remember this from the little documentary. Because you remember, beauty arises desire, but beauty cannot be possessed. <clears throat> it must be contemplated. <clears throat> what happens when you possess beauty? Who said that? Give me an example. <laughs> okay. I'll give you an example from my own life, right? Like I was, my car, I used to have an old Honda Civic. It was this green, nasty thing that got handed down, you know, from generation to generation. Then my brother gave it to me. And, and eventually it was dying. Like it died one time in the car wash, and like I couldn't get out, you know. So people are hung out like, I can't get out. Like my car won't start. So And this was the the day that happened. I was actually going to wash it up for a person to come and look at it, who was going to buy it. So then, when I finally got it, this is a freaking funny story. I got to tell you this. So sometimes I get a little sidetracked, but so so my buddy, right? He he had. I was going to Guatemala because I take these. I took all the students to Guatemala, and he said to me, he's like, "Hey, my daughter's dolls. Like, she's done playing with dolls. Can you take them to Guatemala?" and give them all the kids. I'm like, sure. So he meets me at the high school. We throw in this big thing of dolls into my trunk. And then I drive back. I get this call, they're like, hey, I want to look at your car. And I'm like, frick, I got to go wash it. So I go and wash it. It dies in the washer. And then like, they get it started. I get back to my house. The guy shows up, and he's looking at it. He's like, He's like, you know, he's like, good looking car. I was like, I just, I got to be honest with you, man. Like, it just died. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I went to get it washed so it looked better. And it died in the washer. And he's like, oh. Okay. He's like, do you mind if I look at the trunk? I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Pop it open. Now I got my clerics on pop it open. And like <laughs> lift it up and we're both and I'm like, oh shh. <laughs> I'm like looking at it. And he's looking at it. Kind of quiet. And I'm like. Those aren't mine. He's like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> a great trunk, oh man. yeah. You know, like, I think this guy, like, i off running, man, you know, was freaking, Every Every stereotype for a priest was just, like, realized for the poor guy, you know, a bunch of dolls in that damn car. So anyway, I, end, I do end up selling that car. And then I go, and I'm looking around, and I, I, you know, I want a four-wheel drive. I really want a truck, but I didn't really need a truck. The only, the only thing I had to, like, justify a truck was hunting. But I only hunt, like, three weeks a year. So what about the other 49 weeks, right? I need a good car to get around. I need good gas line, whatever. So I ended up buying a Subaru Legacy because I wanted the four-wheel, all-wheel drive for the winter, blah, 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 blah. So I get this car, and I'm like, this car is awesome. You know, I'm like, this is great. I love this car. This is my car. And like in two weeks, I'm driving past the Subaru dealership, and I look over, and I'm like, hey, I want that car. Why? Because I wanted this thing. It aroused desire within my heart. I took it, possessed it, and I didn't want it anymore. You can do this with anything in the i world. iPod comes out. Everybody's like, oh ah, iPod!" and they get it. And then it's in like iTouch. Like, "Ah, iTouch!" <laughs> iTouch 64 gig, more music, right? They move to that. iTouch Nano, okay. iPhone.
1: You know, iPad. iPad Mini. I,
0: it just is this constant chase because. All of these beautiful things in their own way are arising, they're they're arousing desire. Is that right? Arouse, arise, whatever, who cares. Arousing desire within you. Then, instead of contemplating them, instead of realizing the beauty of what they are and what they can give to the world, we just try to possess. How about this? And none of you have to raise hands or shake heads. Don't do that because you'll reveal your conscience. How about this? I want a girl, guys, that you're like, "Oh, that girl's so beautiful, she's awesome." And then you start dating her, and all of a sudden, she's like, "She's not so hot anymore." Well, what happened? <laughs> you know, she, unless she got like uglified in a week or something, she was she was beautiful originally. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. In most cases, you have tried to possess the beauty. You tried to make it yours instead of beholding the beauty. And it's hard for us to do that. And so we have to, and again, in in the midst of this, as we're on this, this is the difference between love and lust, okay? The difference between love and lust is lust possesses and love contemplates. So the question then comes down, why should I care about beauty? You sit back, you're like, Father, why are we even talking about this? There's so many more beautiful things, better things that we could talk about. And you're saying, but why should I care about beauty? I'm going to say there's three reasons you should care about beauty, like really care about beauty. Okay? The first one is the theological reason. The theological reason you should care about beauty is if beauty is an attribute of God. Remember, theology is all about God, so I'm bringing God into this already. Chill out, just relax. (laughs) If beauty is an attribute of God, if, I said if, then understanding beauty is what? Understanding God. Understanding God. Knowing beauty, seeing beauty, contemplating beauty is drawing you into God. So theologically, it's incredibly important that we know what is really beautiful. Have you ever noticed, and again, you know, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but like, like when ugly people, (laughs) and I don't mean like ugly in appearance, I mean like, like Lil Wayne. He's, he's my cons, I use him all the time. Like, he is an ugly man. Like, in appearance, too. <laughs> right? He is an ugly man. But there is something, like, he has uglified himself. Have you noticed that? Like, his hair, his, I mean, there's tattoos, his teeth, everything's just, it's disgusting. His music, I mean, his music is a manifestation of his person. If you've ever listened, I one time, last year I was trying to use like all these different musics when we were taught, I was trying to you know, talk about different types of art and music. And I was like, I know, I'm gonna use Lil Wayne because he's ugly. And I started, to, I couldn't use any of his songs. They're so terrible. You can't use any of them. And they don't make any sense either by the way. But this, this the, the, the art, or the thing that the person is creating is ugly. And therefore they are ugly. You know that that uh, on the video, the the bed, the messy bed? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Look her up on the internet. Look up images of art done by whatever the hell her name was. What was her name? Somebody wrote about her. And M- and M- Emma? Did you write about her, Emma? Come on, help me out. Somebody wrote about her. You know if you wrote about her. Emma Larkin, Clark, Clarkin, Samsonite. (laughs) Well, if anybody comes up with it while you're reading, just let me know. But anyway, if you look, so that one is that bed, right? And there's like all this nasty, it's disgusting. It's freaking gross. I'm like, you're a woman for crying out loud. If that was a man's bed, it'd be a little different. Not much, but you're a woman. I don't know, I tend to think women are a little bit more ordered than men when it comes to that. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, I don't live with one. But, the rest of her art, you guys, is, it's appalling. It's just like naked women exposing themselves in stick figure form. I think it's Tracy Evans.: There you go, I was close. <laughs> I mean with the M, All right? <laughs> <laughs> Emma. Did you do the bed? Did you search search bed? Yeah, bed as art. Bed as art, yeah. Look her up. Go ahead, look her up. Do images. Do an image search. We're in the age of technology, baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tracy Evans. Oh, just nasty. Anyway, I'm going to keep teaching a couple of you. You don't all have to do this. but And, and plus, it's not good for your souls to probably look these things up. <clears throat> I was wondering what else she did, and that's how I got onto it. But anyway, the art symbolizes the person. And so the person is trying to get across something. And if they themselves are ugly, their person is ugly, they will produce ugly things. Okay? So theologically, gain us a God. Second, you should care about it (coughs) philosophically. If the idea of beauty... Is objective then so is truth and goodness and that's really 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 important
1: when I say that you guys I just
0: want to just throw it out there why am I so hung up on this objective nature of stuff why is that huh Right, but why? Why am I just like objective this, objective this, we need it, we need it, we need it? Forms like concrete evidence or foundation? Foundations, good. And if you have foundations, then what do you have? Structure. Structure, a standard, and you have something to what? Measure. And that's really, really important. Because if there is no standard, if there is no foundation, if there is no structure, then nothing has meaning. Everything is freaking worthless, you guys. And if that's true, then this life really sucks. And you can talk, this is the thing that bothers me too, is people say, oh, beauty is subjective. Completely subjective, it's in the eye of the beholder. Really? What about your love for your your husband? Oh, that's real, that's objective. No, it's not, because if beauty isn't objective, your love isn't objective. And people want to say truth is always its subjective. Whatever I think is right, whatever you think is right, and let's all just get along. But the problem is, if that's true, first of all, that's a logical contradiction. But if it's true, then there is no such thing as love. Does that bother you? I had no doubts. Maybe it doesn't. But it bothers the hell out of me. Because I want to believe in love. I want to believe that sacrifice has meaning. That if I give my life to something, that it has purpose. That's why I'm hammering the hell out of this stuff, you guys. Because we don't critically think through these concepts, and then we think, and then we wonder why everything's a mess. Okay, it's important we got to defend it, right? I put down, if we lose ground on beauty, we lose it on truth and goodness too. Right? So we have we have to uphold beauty as an object an objective reality. Third, you should care about it apologetically. Yeah. 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 You know what apologetically means? Apologetics. Anybody? Shout it out? Raise your hand. You don't know what apologetics means? Apologetics is like how you defend your faith. <clears throat> and I put down, it is all we have left. It is all we have left. And when I say we, you can put in, you can put in parentheses Christians. <clears throat> it's our only means to connect to the world. It's all we have left. Does the world care about truth? No. no. Does the world care about goodness and morality? No. I'm not saying the people of the world. I'm saying as a general philosophical understanding. No. What do people still care about? Beauty. I just did a quick uh, search because, and these computers here are really freaking slow. But, and I and I got. I have to do more of it. But I just want a real quick thing. The, like, top five most visited places in the world, or the top ten, I think, like, four of them are churches. Notre Dame, Notre Dame in France, sacre Coeur in France, St. Peter's Basilica, and I think the Hagia Sophia. Four of the ten, that's 40%. That should tell us something. The other, I think the other five were theme parks. That should tell us something, too. So what are, what are we all about? What are we, what are we, as a society, mostly about? Beauty. Huh? Beauty. No. Fun, pleasure. fun and pleasure. And then second, we are about yeah. beauty. <clears throat> so fun and pleasure and beauty. Those are the two things that basically the whole world is, is stuck on right now. So apologetically, it's the only thing we have left. And then there was a saying, I don't remember who said it, but it was, Beauty will save the world. I love that line. Beauty will save the world because because all human beings, no matter how much they try to push away truth and no matter how much they try to push away goodness, they will always, always want beauty because beauty arises desire. We want stuff to have meaning and yet we push it away. Okay? All right. So what is, and this is what we talked about yesterday, or yesterday, last week, people were asking, what is the standard for beauty? So what is the standard for beauty? The first standard for beauty is reality. Now remember, you're going to say, well, Father, that's your opinion. I'm going to try to show you here that as I say each of these things, I'm actually going to back them up. Okay? Why would I say reality is the first standard of beauty? If what can happen? Well, like if you're looking at like a, a painting or something like that, and if it's like realistic, so you think... We're going to get to that. We're not there yet. I'm talking reality like all of this. That it doesn't exist, it doesn't there sense. can't be beauty. Exactly. Without reality, there can't be beauty at all. So reality has to be the base standard of beauty. Does that make sense? Is that a fair... I mean, again, if you don't... You can sit back and say, oh, that's crap. But you better be able to defend it. But I'd say without reality, you can't have beauty at all. Okay? So what about imagination? <clears throat> where do you get your imagination from? I guess reality, but Yeah. Pretty... I mean, your reality your imagination comes from your mind. And you can argue from your soul and from your body, which comes from reality. It's existence. Okay. Existence and reality are the base. When I say reality, I mean all things that are existing. Right? So that's where your imagination comes from. It first comes from here. So. In that category. Right, good, no, 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 it, I mean, sure, no, I mean, yeah, everything Everything fits in there that exists. So, you would sit back and say, even the ugliest thing in the world, does it have elements of beauty? Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> but it's still freaking ugly. That's what we, we have to be okay to say that, okay? The second, <clears throat> the ultimate reality... will be the ultimate standard. What is the ultimate reality? God. God himself, okay. Now you can sit back and you can, now this statement, right, is this a true statement? Okay, the ultimate reality will be the ultimate standard. Okay, that's a true statement. Is it true to say that the ultimate reality, if there is one other than this, would be God? Even if you didn't believe in it. I'm just looking for anything. (laughs) You're all dead. Yeah. So what if, like... You didn't believe in anything after you didn't believe in a reality after death. There was just... Right. That's a good point. The reason I'm making this statement is for that very fact. If you don't believe in that, then we don't have to talk about this. We don't have to talk about beauty. We don't have to talk about anything. If you believe that beauty exists, you therefore have to believe that it has a perfection. There is a perfect... There is an ultimate beauty. Otherwise, we, can't, we wouldn't be able to measure anything. We wouldn't be able to say anything's beautiful. This is, now again, this is is Plato, right? I'm getting a little philosophical on you. He's taking, he he says they're they're called forms. And so if you see something beautiful, you are, if you're like, that is a beautiful thing, you are referring that there, you are implying that there is some perfect beautiful thing from which all beauty comes. And that's why that would be the ultimate reality. Therefore, that's God. Now, again, I'm not saying you have to believe this, okay? But if you don't, then we don't have to talk about beauty at all. And it is completely subjective, and you can live in your piss-poor world, and you have no meaning, you have no purpose, you have no love, you have no nothing, and that's fine. If you want to do that, go ahead. But from this point, I'm just going to keep moving forward, assuming that this is a possibility, okay? Therefore, and then obviously, right, therefore the ultimate standard to all things would be God himself. Okay, that's, that's a third point. I just got a little ahead of myself. Now, <clears throat> ancient Greece. So this is, this is a very theological understanding. Okay? I like this. Ancient Greece word was kalos. Kalos meant well-formed, well-made, well-proportioned. This is how the ancient world saw beauty. Well-made, well-formed, well-proportioned. So a building, for example, that was structurally sound, but didn't have a lot of decoration could have been considered beautiful right? for the ancient world. Now, Thomas Aquinas comes along and he adds this. This is very important. This is his definition. Beauty is that which pleases When seen, and when he uses the word for see, he means contemplated. Beauty is that which, when beauty is that which pleases when seen or contemplated, not just glanced <clears> at. <throat> when you take time and you look at it and you contemplate it, and you don't try to possess it, you just enjoy it, okay? Aquinas said that there are four attributes of beauty. The first one is actuality. And under actuality, has three little kind of subcategories. So the first one is existence, which is the very first thing we talked about. Because a thing exists, it has beauty. Because God created it. Two, or B, whatever, is form. So the closer the form and the reality match, the more beautiful a thing is right so if you have like a like a picture of a flower right and the closer that picture so if i do this right and then like that's my flower okay now because it exists and i made it it has some beauty but you take like a rembrandt picture of a still you know the flower in the vase and you're like wow that looks like a freaking picture Aquinas would say that's more beautiful because the reality its existence and its form are more closely connected. So the more you can convey the reality of a thing, the more beautiful it becomes. The more the reality and the form match. So if, just, just for example, so you understand this, okay. What, what, so the form is like a newborn baby. Right? A little baby kicking around. Right? Now, if I, again, if I draw this, you know, like, okay. That has some beauty, that's my newborn baby. But then you have like a William Bougereau who draws our lady holding the newborn Christ child and you're like, that is amazing. Because the form of mother and child more closely matches the reality of what mother and child are. That's why in order for beauty to truly be appreciated, you have to contemplate it. You have to look at it and think about it and. Ask questions and see the forms and the proportions and all of this. <clears throat> and that's how things get closer and closer and closer because the form matches the reality. And third is action. <clears throat> now again, this is more for this is for different arts. <clears throat> right? And, and, and he says, a dancer, for example, is still a dancer when she's sleeping. But she's more a dancer when she's dancing. <clears throat> and so the action of the art actually makes it more beautiful. <clears throat> now this, this is, a lot of this stuff you guys is not like overly incredibly hard to understand. This is, some of this is just very simple base ground stuff. I mean if I come out and I'm supposed to be this amazing dancer and I like, they're like, follow up, you know, everybody's cheering, you know, and I'm like and I just stand there. Well that's not beautiful at all. But if I really start dancing and doing all my cool moves and stuff and people are like, that's amazing. Because I am actually I am actually in action becoming the form that exists in reality. Okay? Okay. Second. Okay, I'm not saying that I think this would be a beautiful uh, sculpture or anything, but with Okay, so like the urinal thing. If I had a urinal, a sculpture of a urinal with a statue that is continually, like, say Pee like it. peeing it in this like that's action, he's doing it, it has a form that's really close to his. existence. Sure. I mean, you could be like, wow, like, that's a real replication of a man pissing in a urinal. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. I mean, you, I don't know if you'd say that, like, has a lot of beauty, but you'd say it certainly matches what the urinal is supposed to be used for. So, I mean, obviously the form is there, the action is there, the existence is there. So, the, this first part of it, the four attributes is fulfilled. So, you're like, okay, so we got it's the actuality part of the, of the standard is right. Okay, but there's more. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's why, so a urinal with a name on it, that just doesn't, it's not, it's, what's, it, what's it conveying? Right? I mean, if you can tell me, what is that conveying? Can anybody tell me? That art is crap. Well, that, that, Maybe that Does it have a message then? Isn't, doesn't that sculpture technically have a message? It, it? it does. It's a terrible one. But it does. It, said, it says that art is more or less meaningless. So, yeah. And it's because it's acting against all four of these. So, yeah, we'll get in more and see, see if we can run. I like this example. We'll see if we can run, it, run the gamut, okay? Two, radiance. It's a quality or an aspect of the thing that makes the onlooker want to see it again. And again, we have to keep in mind here just really quick. Quality or aspect that makes the onlooker want to see the thing again. And when I say see, what do I mean? Contemplate. Because I could sure, I mean, if that door opened and a naked woman came through, you know, everybody would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, and they like, because what now what are you doing? Now you're possessing. You're not contemplating. You're lusting. You want it. But there's some things in this world that you see, and you're just, it's so amazing that you just want to go back to it. If you have ever been to Rome, you can identify with this. Because you go into St. Peter's Basilica, and it's, it's just, um, it's overcoming. Why does it have, you know, like 7 million visitors a year? Because it's a big freaking building? Or is there something more there? And when people go there and when they come back, you say, what was one of your favorite things that you saw there? St. Peter's Basilica. I would love to go back and spend more time there. To lust? No, to contemplate. To think, to be drawn, to be overcome, to be out of yourself. Yeah. What if you'd been there a thousand times? I have been there a thousand times. Really? Yeah. Yeah. At least 500. I know that for a fact. I lived there for four years, and I've probably directed about 20-some pilgrimages. So I'm, and I'm telling you, man, it never ceases. If you come into the place... Now, if I come into the place pissed and, and not wanting to see it and not caring about it and just, I, I, this is a stop, i got to make it, i got to show people, well, that's, I don't want to contemplate it. But even in that, you guys, even as much as I hate going to Italy and, like, going and dealing with the crappy Italian people and the, and the, and the miserable heat. And the, I'm telling you, man, when you finally get to St. Peter's, it's just like, it, it's just, wow. It just does something to you. I'm telling you, I don't remember if I said this in last class, but there was a kid. I was behind. This is like, two months two month, in December I was there. And I always like to go down and just visit it. I've been there 200 times. I still like to go and visit it. And uh, when I went, this kid was in front of me. He had his earbuds in, you know? And he's just like, he's in this group and he's just you know, just pissed at the world. and like, I don't want brick on here. He walks through these doors and he's like, holy shit. And he took out his and he's just like, <laughs> That's what radiance is, right? Yeah. How do you possess like Saint Petersburg's Basilica? Like, you cannot be possessed. How would one, quote unquote, possess it in order to maintain it? That when you go back to it, that you desire the same experience. <clears throat> and I think you know a lot of that has. To, if you look, if you look at beauty, you know, like, and again, drive back to relationships, you know. But you, the, the, the point of relationships is to be drawn deeper and deeper and deeper, right? To not have the same experience each time. But people want to hang on to that, like, honeymoon period of marriage. And in end, they try to possess that and hang on to it. Where, like, they could barely keep their clothes on, you know? They were so in love. And and they eventually destroy it. Because they don't let love, like, love is meant, as I said, to be contemplated, to grow to take on new dimensions and, and ways of seeing it, all types of stuff. So yeah, to possess it would be to go back desiring the same experience when you walked in. And in fact, you will be let down. But if you walk in, you're just like, I just, I just really want to see this place again. And like, you know, like show me, you know, like, like I hope I see something that I never saw before. And literally, you could go into St. Peter's a thousand times and you'd still miss stuff. Right? Or, the, or Sacre Cours in France. Like that. The only reason I'm using these examples is because they were on this, you know, top ten about visited. Notre Dame in Paris. Like you walk in and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is this is just something. Now on the on the flip side of that, right? Have you ever heard of the cube? The cube. It's in uh, it's in France. So you have Notre Dame, but then you also have the cube, and it's the the memorial. It's kind of like the Arc de la Defense, right? The the Arch of Defense. How's that for my French? And it's this big freaking cube. And it's huge. And it's a cube. And, and when you get up, you're like, wow. It's a cube. <laughs> cool. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> you know, because, like, what, what is, it? is it? Is it neat? Is it beautiful? Yeah. What's it conveying? A cube. A cube. I mean, that's great. And it does a good job. Cause you're like, that's a cube, <laughs> but then that's that's it. I, you know, there's I'm trying to contemplate, but it's a cube, and so that's where I'm st- I'm kind of stuck there. And so there is beauty in that thing. There is a bit of radiance, and I would like to go see it again because you know, I don't really remember it, and it was kind of neat to see. But it's not something that like draws me back. <clears throat> Here's another example: the Great Pyramids in Egypt. If you ever get a chance to go to Egypt, don't go anywhere except Cairo. Visit, visit the Great Pyramids, then go to Mount Sinai, and go home. That's it. Remember when I got off the plane, I was like, the desert is so awesome. I love the desert. Like day two, I'm like, I hate this freaking place. It's so terrible, the <laughs> desert's so terrible. I don't know how people live there. I'm sure they'd say the same thing about us in North Dakota. But the pyramids are amazing. You sit there, and you're like, I just sat and like looked at I, And then I had this toy, this is a total side story, sorry. But this guy came up and he's like, you ride horses. And we're like, yeah, we ride horses. And he's like, like, how much? he's like, five dollars. He's like, real Arabian horses. I'm like, sweet. I was like, here's five bucks. So all five of us, my buddies and I, we got on these horses and they were bareback. And I'm not a horse rider. (laughs) Like I think they're majestic and beautiful and they have some radiance and they're real and they're actual and their action is freaky. (laughs) They're <laughs> yeah, freaky. And so we're like, we're sitting there, and we're kind of just trotting, and we're in the desert, and I'm not, it, I'm telling you, it was one of the most, like, we talk about radiance, we, we were in the desert, the sun was setting over the pyramids, and we were, like, trotting on horses through the <laughs> desert towards the pyramids. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. And he comes up, he's like, you, he's like, you want to. You want to gallop? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, gallop! <laughs> okay. And he and the guy's just like, he whistles like really loud and yells some. Like, and this thing just takes off all five of us. And you know, I was kinda it was kinda cool at first, you know. I'm like going, and you know, the wind's like going through my hair, and I'm just like headed towards <laughs> the and I'm just, just and I look over my buddy, Mike Ruffalo, who's a priest as well now. We were seminarians at the time. And he's just geeky as all get-out. This guy is not cut out for horse riding. And I look over, and he's like, yeah! Like, he has his hands on, and he's bouncing off the horse. And his horse is veering off to the right. There. And, like, I'm just going, going. And I'm like this, is, I, like, this is amazing. And all of a sudden, I'm like, i got to stop this. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was like, well, in the movies... They just do whoa <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, whoa and the thing's like and just like takes off even faster. I'm like, whoa! And I'm like kicking it. Well that was dumb. <laughs> and this thing is at like top speed and now I'm freaking <laughs> out. Like I thought I was gonna fall off. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy comes back and he, like, shouts out some Arabic word and the like, thing stops. It was amazing. But anyway, that's was a total side, side story. But. So, radiance, right? Getting you to come back. But the pyramids, man, there is something that is to be contemplated about the pyramids. When you look at the pyramids, you're like, like the cube, you're like pyramid. But then what else goes through your mind? If you're contemplating the pyramids. How, they build how the frick did they do this? You're right. You sit back and you're like, how on earth did they build these things? And the cool thing is there's no rules in Egypt. So you can climb on the pyramids. And like literally, no, like, I mean, each of these blocks, this is where you're like, how did they do this? Because each of these blocks, you like come up to it and you're like, <laughs> and you like pull yourself up, <laughs> pull yourself up. And you're like, these things, I mean, like, and then the, the pyramid is so freaking big. And then in the middle of it, this is the crazy part. You get to go down this little tiny tunnel. It's like it's literally probably about three feet by three feet. And there's thousands of tourists in and out. If you have claustrophobia, man, it freaks you the heck out. Because you're just like this.
1: And it goes all the
0: way down, then it goes all the way down. And you're at the center of the pyramid. And you know what's at the center of the pyramid? A tiny little room with a sarcophagus. And then you sit back and you're like, Why did they build this as a tomb? This is the biggest freaking tomb I've ever seen in my life. Why? Well, it turns out why. Because of what they believe about Pharaoh. He was a God. He was some big, beautiful, huge, enormous things for God. That's why it's drawing me in. This is in some way a touch point with the divine. Let's think about Okay, three. Five. Yeah. Do these still do these rules like still apply for like a scene you'd see like in nature, like say like mountains or. Oh yeah, we're getting to that. That's but that's good thinking, okay. Um, radiance. Real quick, write this down. Ugliness is not a thing in itself. Getting real philosophical tonight. Ugliness is not a thing in itself. It is a lacking of beauty. Here's a question, then: Can you actually, can you ever have an absolutely ugly thing? No. no. Why? Because everything exists. Yes. <laughs> We're getting it. This is great, man. Because <laughs> it exists, okay? Ah. Uh, and again, you know, this, you know, I put under here, I said, think about when you throw something away. Why do we usually throw things away? Because they've lost their use. They've lost their proper form. So like, a, you know, if you have a hole in your shirt, you throw it away. Why? Well, because it's not a shirt anymore. It's, 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 it's beginning to lack its shirtiness. And that's what's making it ugly. Because it's lacking its true form, which is shirt. So if there'd be a big hole, if somebody shoot a big hole through the cube, would it become a bit ugly? Yeah, because now it's lost part of its proper form. Okay, all right, anyway. Third. Proportion. So do you, do you still think like the Sphinx is beautiful even though it's missing its nose? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look, well here's the thing. Good, 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 good. With the pyramids too, if you, you know, this the true pyramid, it doesn't look like it looks like today. The true pyramid, you guys, holy crap. If they're correct in what they say, they, that it was like a, a mirror. So it was solid. It was, it was a solid, huge, like, and they used a, a sheen, like a white sheen paint on it or something. And it would have, like, literally been blinding to look at, which would have made it even more. I mean, the radiance of that thing would have been even more, right? But the Sphinx, yeah. The Sphinx was actually quite a disappointment because it's so little. I thought it was going to be big, but it's really little. And yeah, and then, the, I mean, you look at it and you're like, you know, it's good, but like, again, if we went back, actuality, does the Sphinx really exist? No, so it's a little weird just to look at. There's a man's head on a cat's body, right? And then, and then all of a sudden the nose is gone. So yeah, it, it begins to get a little ugly because it's lacking its proper form. Would well, it maybe gain beauty just because how old it is? Like some <clears throat> like older buildings look better just because you you see how old they are. So maybe that's not true. Older buildings look better because they have integrity and they have form because they were built for beauty, not for use. Remember the video. The... So like here's another thing. You guys again, you know, I, I hate to use Rome, but I, again, I'm going to use Europe for a lot of this stuff because America has never really understood beauty, <laughs> and we're just kind of a melting pot of all these different philosophical. We're pluralistic, right? We have pluralism, which means thund- hundreds of ideas flowing around and everybody just espouses whatever the hell they want. And you can see that. It's kind of a melting pot here. But in Europe, if you ever get a chance to go like, <clears throat> to the ancient Tuscan cities, so like, if you go to Siena or if you go to uh, like Assisi, I'm telling you, just walking through the town, something happens to you. <clears throat> Even the hardest heart, man, I have taken a lot of pilgrimages, and I have taken some real idiots, real idiots, and real B-words. I've taken them, and they, something, they, I don't know, I, I mean, I do know, but like, they, they, they just, they're overcome. And it does something to them, not just because it's old, but because it has beauty. It has proportion. They want to go back to it because it draws them into something that was like beautiful and real and it spans space and time. That's why you can go to like these small little medieval villages and you're still like, you're like, we're in the modern world, but this stuff is still great. Now, is it that functional? No. But it wasn't built for use. It was built for beauty, to draw people out of the miserableness of the world. Because I hate to tell you this, this is one of the hardest parts about teaching both high school and college. Like, this life really is hard. It's really hard. And and maybe you've been through a lot, and I don't want to come down on on your experience of life, but my experience is most people have not been through a lot. And you will. You're going to go through a lot. The psalmist says, says, oh God, most live 70 to 80 years, and most of these are filled with emptiness and pain. <laughs> but we don't realize that right now. But you are going to need beauty. There's some times in my life where I just got to drop everything, and I got to sit down, and I got to put on some, like, beautiful music. I just got to chill out. Right. I mean, one time I went. And this is kind of embarrassing, but I'm, 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 I'm securing my masculinity. One time I went to a, an opera, and I was like balling by the end of it. It was something that was just, it was just conveyed. Here's one. Les Mis. Now you all have probably seen the movie, right? Les Mis, Les Misérables, which, by the way, translates to what? The yeah, the miserable ones, right? And in that, but I just went this last year. I went. To, I went to Les Mis on Broadway. I think I could be wrong. I think. Look it up. It is the longest running Broadway show ever. I think. <clears throat> Twenty years, nonstop. It has been running on, on on Broadway. Why? Because I went to Wicked. Have you ever seen Wicked? Or you, you know the song? Uh, I can defy gravity. You know that song. <laughs> anyway. I went and saw Wicked too. Wicked was really entertaining, and it was fun, and it was it was charming and cute, and it was good. Like I didn't feel like I wasted my money. Like I really felt entertained. But Lame Mis, Lame Mis hit my heart on a level. I'm telling you, at the end of that show, I was crying so hard that like snot was coming out. I was. I mean, everybody around me was embarrassed. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> because at the end, I don't know how it's like, I've never seen the movie, because I wanted to wait and see it on Broadway. I didn't want to spoil it. But the way that they do the end of that movie, or the end of that show on Broadway, it, like, and I'm not, you know, like, I was out of control, I'll admit. <laughs> but everybody around me was crying too. And that's the reason Les Mis has been on for 20 years. And that's why it keeps drawing people back. And that's why you have the actuality because it's capturing what? It's capturing humanity. Wicked does not capture humanity. Wicked is like fun. And it's fine. Wicked's good. I enjoyed the hell out of it. But it was nothing. It didn't even flip and compare to Les Mis. Because Le Mis tapped into real human experience of pain and suffering. And it conveyed it Really well. And here's the crazy part. You know the religion of the man who wrote is Anybody? Atheist. He was an atheist. Good guess. He was an atheist. And the reason he wrote it and the way he wrote it is because he said, if Christianity is true, and they really lived out what they profess, this is what would come from it. And it started a revolution in France. It upended a freaking book. Stem the tide of France. Why? Because it was a good book? No, it's like this freaking thick. But because it tapped in to the reality of human experience. And people's hearts were ripped out of their chest. And they were given hope. The lack of beauty kills hope. If there's nothing beautiful in this world, there's nothing to be hopeful for. If there is a heaven, if there is a God, and all beauty is radiating from that, when I see beauty, I'm connected to God, and I have hope. I don't even know if that makes sense. Didn't in my mind. (laughs) Proportion. Symmetry. It's another word. I put this down, it's an American uh, poet. Again, you don't need to write this down, but I thought it was beautiful. We have only to think of the symmetry of the petals of an orchid, the balance of a mathematical equation, the mutual adaption of a work of art to realize how important the factor of harmony and proportion is in beauty. You can put harmony down too, that would be another. Harmony and, and proportion draw people into beauty. This is why a Picasso is really hard to look at. You ever seen a Picasso painting? Like you know, it'll show it'll show a human face at a profile, but an eyeball right here, and the like the mouth here, and the ear on top of the head. It's all out of proportion. Now, is it a, is it art? Yeah. Is it a type of art? Yeah. Is there beauty in it? Yeah. But it's lacking one of a, a serious attribute. Actually it's lacking a few, right? How about the actuality? Is that the way human beings look? No. Oh, I was gonna show this, I don't have a YouTube clip here, but they actually did this, uh, doctors and uh, philosophers and theologians, they all got together in England, and they all, based on the principles of beauty, they found the most beautiful woman in England. And she's beautiful. Physically, she could be a nightmare in reality. But they were just talking about physical beauty, okay? Now again, you guys, you have to remember. Well, hold on. We're gonna finish this out. Four. And four, I think, is probably the most important. I could be wrong. Is what we call wholeness. <clears throat> Wholeness reveals the interior nature of a thing. The interior nature of a thing. So it reveals what a thing is in its wholeality. Is that a word? Totality. So what makes a woman beautiful is when she is being most a woman. We can use, let's use woman for an example here. What makes a woman beautiful is when she is being most woman or feminine. You know you know in the 80s, well maybe you don't. <laughs> in the 80s, they had this like thing. There were shoulder pads. Women wore shoulder pads. Like in suit jackets. You know why? Does anybody know why? To look more like men. men. That's weird. And in fact, if you look at pictures of these big (laughs) shoulder pads, (laughs) they look goofy. And you're like, you don't even... That's not. So there's something... This is why like... One of the most, you're going to ask people if you said, is it beautiful when a mother is fir- first gets to hold her newborn baby? I think the vast majority of humanity would say yes. Why? That's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose of woman. She has other stuff, but her fundamental purpose is, is to be a mother, to give life. That's the wholeness. This this quality, this attribute, is what makes Mother Teresa beautiful. Because she is being the the totality of what a woman should be. Caregiving. Sacrificing. Prayerful. Love beyond all telling. Like Those are feminine attributes, man. And then you take that and you put them into action, holy crap. Then you got the actuality of a woman. She exists. Her form, Mother Teresa is a woman. She's, her action is living out the wholeness of her femininity. right? Her proportion, now where does her proportion lie? Maybe not in her physical attributes, but where? Well, her life. How she lives her life. Is her life proportionate? Does she balance her love for God and her love for humanity? Yeah. Her radiance. Do people want to see Mother Teresa again? Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, man, when I met, I never met Mother Teresa, but I met John Paul II five times. And every time, every single time I met him, I cried. I'm telling you, all of you are like, well, that's stupid. I wouldn't. Yes, you would. You can't control it. You just start crying. My mom was the best. We were going to meet him. We were in the papal palace. And she's like, she's like, oh, she's like, I am so excited. My mom is a saint, man, if you ever get to meet her. She's like this big and just <laughs> cute, and she's holy as all get out. But she's a terror, too. I mean, like, she taught at Mandan High School for 25 years, and I have never seen a more respected teacher than my mom. And kids were more afraid of her than any other teacher in the, in the high school. She's this little, like, <laughs> she's just a happy little old lady, <laughs> I'm like, how do you command such respect? But anyway, she's sitting there, and she's like, I am just, this is, she's like, because I was named after John Paul II. My name is Joshua Carol Waltz, and you can make fun of my Carol middle name if you want, but that's John Paul II's real name, Carol Waitia. So my mom loves John Paul II, we're like, oh, she's like, this is so exciting. I'm like, just chill out, Mom. like, just, just calm down. Like, when, She's like, where is he? I was like, right when we go around this corner, you'll be able to see him, and then it will be about 10 people, and then you'll get to meet him. And she's like, okay. I'm so ready. I'm so excited. And she turned around and she's like, Aah! And like, just the picture of her meeting John <laughs> we went, We went and looked at the pictures. She's like, I look like an idiot. <laughs> I mean, she's just bawling, man. <laughs> she, just by seeing him, there was such, like the radiance of this man. Because what was he radiating? He was radiating the wholeness of what it means to be a man of God. And his action, man spoke louder than any word he ever preached. He traveled the world. I remember, and there are so many stories. you want to be fascinated by a human being, read about John Paul II. There was one time he was in Africa and he was visiting, I can't remember, I think it was Kenya, and a family came up to him and they were like, We don't have anything, you know, and they were, and the kid, he had like, she had like three kids that were, I don't know, sick, and it was just a nightmare. And their hus- her husband had just died and he took off his papal ring his gold paper ring and gave it to her and said, I hope this helps. You are know, like that kind of stuff, man. When you hear stories about that, you're like, that's beautiful. That has purpose. That has meaning. So wholeness. Wholeness is huge, you guys. Now, proportion is big. All of these are really big, okay? But again, a wholeness, right? If, just a couple more examples of this right it, a home you know a home can be used as a restaurant but what is its proper function it's to be a home you know it's to be a place where people live there's there's two other aspects that I want to use this guy is a philosopher his name is Mortimer Adler and he was a Thomist and whenever I say Thomist I'm talking he, he studied who Thomas Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas okay and he was also an Aristotelian philosopher, which means he studied? Aristotle. Aristotle, good. And Aristotle and Aquinas were buddies, even though they were like a thousand years apart. They loved each other. They built off of each other. Okay? He said that beauty, in fact, has two more aspects. And I love his little distinction. Okay? I think they can fit into what Thomas says, but, I th- I, but they're, they're outstanding. Okay? He says beauty can be admirable... and enjoyable. And this, I think, I'm so glad he made this distinction because this gets to the heart of the question. Because a lot of you wrote in your papers, and, and you didn't back it up very well, but you were on the right track, that beauty is, in fact, both objective and subjective. But you have to be very clear what you mean by that. Because you can't just say it's both objective and subjective because that's impossible. That's illogical. Something cannot be both objective and subjective at the exact same time. There is a subjective element to the objective truth. Okay? The admirable has to do with the objective qualities being contemplated. The admirable has to do with the objective qualities of the thing contemplated. <clears throat> The enjoyable has to do with the person's experience of the object. Now, this is the key. This is the key point. Therefore... Something that is admirable... Therefore, something that is admirable ought to be enjoyable. Therefore, something that is admirable ought to be enjoyable. But something that is enjoyable... is not necessarily admirable. Do you understand that? Bless you. So something that is admirable ought to be enjoyable, but something that is enjoyable doesn't necessarily have to be admirable. So what that is saying is, just because you don't like a thing doesn't mean it's not objectively beautiful. You're entitled to not like it. It just doesn't mean that you're right. Could be, but you might not be. Now, again, this, you know, I think this kind of gamut right here, if we, we can put a lot of things through, does it leave a lot, not a lot, does it leave certain things open to the subjective experience of beauty? Yes, it does. But is there objectivity to beauty? Yes, there is. And this is really, really important. As I said, theologically, philosophically, apologetically. And I want to encourage you guys to start beholding beauty. You know, like when you see a beautiful woman, gentlemen, To say, God, thank you for your great creation. Instead of poking your buddy and saying, look at her, she's hot. That's possessing. Or like when you learn something new. Something that you didn't know before. To behold it. To contemplate it. Take some freaking time. To enjoy this life. Pascal, Blaise Pascal, a great French philosopher, he said, 90% of the world's problems would be solved if mankind could spend one hour in silence every day. We don't take time to enjoy reality. Now, back to your question that you posed a while ago. If all this stuff is true, okay, and this stuff, What can we draw, if we draw together, what is the most beautiful thing that we can behold in this world? God's creation. God's creation. It's the most beautiful thing that exists. Because it's His. And that's why people are, like, drawn to creation. You want to know like where the other stops were about these tourist destinations? The Maldives. You ever seen that place? Holy crap! Just look it up. Like they have homes that sit on the water, and like as you sleep, you get up and you walk. You you can look down through glass and see fish swimming underneath you. Now that's really stupid. (laughs) Or like underwater. What? Why? I I once read. I was in popular science. This guy built an underwater home. That's stupid. Like, the amount of money they're go into there. But guess what? It's freaking really cool. <laughs> because you're in, re- you're in God's creation. But this is a man trying to possess it almost, right? He's trying to be there in the ocean, you know. like, But, but he's doing something really dumb, really expensive, and really dangerous in order to enjoy what is not his. <clears throat> like I talked about last week, you know, like, where do people love to build homes? Up in the mountains. On the side of mountains. By the beaches. I mean, why the hell are people still in Louisiana? <laughs> why are people still in the Philippines? <clears throat> or, you know what I mean, like, where, where huge tsunamis hit, and, 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 and what's the other one? Hurricanes. Yeah, hurricanes, what's the other one? Typhoon. The big, the yeah. Typhoon? Is that a tsunami? Typhoon. Typhoon, Typhoon. that's what I'm like more. <laughs> Which is a hurricane. in the Indian Ocean or something like that, right? Or the Pacific, I don't remember. Anyway, but why do people... You know, look, California. Why the hell are people still in California? Because it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. People are drawn into beauty. They want to be by beautiful things. It's incredibly important. I don't know if I sold you on it. I didn't plan on that. I plan on throwing these things out. Hope they get you to think a little bit. Hope they get you to stop and maybe look at something in a different way, and maybe draw you deeper into the mystery of all of the reality that's around you. You know, like when you're walk- so you know, like when you're walking out here today was a perfect example. You guys, anybody see the sunset? Oh my gosh! It's the middle of January, and we're outside walking without jackets, looking at the sunset. I saw people. This is. I saw people <laughs> sitting. We have freaking benches that just look out. Why? So people can sit and stop and contemplate the beauty that is before them, the Missouri River Valley. I mean, it's, it's stunning, and we just don't take any damn time anymore. Just sit and listen to a symphony. To sit and, and at first, you know what? At first, you won't like it. Especially if you listen, listen to a lot of rock, a lot of country, a lot of... And I'm not saying those are bad. I'm not. I, I love all that stuff. In fact, I just heard Maroon 5's new song, Sugar. Have you guys seen that video? <clears throat> it's a great video. You've got to watch it. It just brings a lot of joy to your heart. Anyway, um, that was totally off topic. But you won't, you won't like it at first because you're not used to it. <clears throat> As you slowly begin to listen and to contemplate and to think about what's happening, it's really amazing. And it really calms you. and settles you down. And it makes us more human. I will never forget when I I went to Africa for five weeks. And those people taught me patience and how to enjoy each other. Because, you know, like here, if a bus doesn't come, we're pissed. Or if we can't find a taxi, we're pissed. Or if something doesn't start on time, we're pissed. Over there, we showed up and we're like, what are we doing today? And they're like, wow, we're planning on going to help these people, but we got to see if this car shows up. We sat for six hours waiting, and then the car showed up, and we did two hours of work, and then the car dropped us off, and the next day, it happened again, and by like the third or fourth day, I was like, I kind of enjoy this. (laughs) They just, you know what, everybody's like, they're so lazy, and they're worthless, and that's why their countries suck, and blah, 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 and nobody really even knows. They don't. I mean, our our pain is our pleasure. (laughs) We, 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 let's take a break. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm just going to keep ranting. Holy crap. Uh, We'll start up at 8.